Hello, and welcome to the Weird Waves podcast. My name is Taylor, and this is episode 37. On this week's episode, we are talking to Tyler Spence. He is a kiteboard enthusiast and instructor from Stoke Riders, based here in Indiana. This is an awesome podcast episode. We talk all about kiteboarding, how we got into it, the dynamics of kiteboarding, all the different ways that you can kite use a kite. I didn't even know kite surfing, kite buggy, kite skis on a longboard. It's it's really cool. And we also talk about kind of the nuances between surfing and kiteboarding and what those major differences would be if you wanted to give it a try. Andre and I has actually had a lesson with Tyler about three years ago and hearing his story again made me really want to try it another time. It's really cool to hear about a sport that is so different from traditional surfing and yet the thrills are so similar. So I really hope that you enjoy this week's episode. Cool. So how are you? Pretty good. Awesome. I, uh, yeah, just uh, just got done, um, you know, doing a little buggy, kite buggy action. So it's fun. Good direction for it. What is a kite buggy? Uh, it's basically, it's like a it's a trike. It's kind of three wheels on it. The seat is really low to the ground and um your steering wheel is basically your feet. There's pegs that come out of the front wheel and you're just attached to a kite like, you know, a normal kiteboarding setup. But you uh you sit down in the buggy and you steer with your feet so you can get the angle you need to to zip around and cruise the coastline. So you're like on the beach in like a little cart. Yeah. That's yeah, so like cool. a, yeah, like a little like yeah, like a like a grown-up tricycle, I guess you could call it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And you can really, like, kite kind of in any... I mean, it kind of translates to a lot of different sports, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, I guess you could call it. Yeah, different different activities for it. You know, snow kiting and land kiting would be the buggy. Or, um, you know, land boarding. Um, you know, you have, like a, like, a mountain board that you can um, kite with. Um, and then for, for snow kiting, you have, um, you can use skis, snow blades, snowboard, um, you know, backcountry skis, all, all kinds of different modes of transportation. As long as you can like get an edge in and angle and, and have direction and steering, um, then you can really kite with anything. That's cool. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Go ahead. uh, I was just going to say, uh. Like every once in a while, you can like you can fit someone else on the back of the buggy, and you can just like drop them off somewhere if it's like kind of a trek. Like the the surfers at Lake Street, they got to walk like a mile, just pop them on the back of the buggy with their surfboards and carry them down there. Oh my god! That <laughs> That's awesome. That's like the dream because yeah. I know some guys have those little like carts, you know, mm-hmm. to lug their stuff around, but. You should set up like a taxi service. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? They just need the wind in the right direction. Right. <laughs> then it's yeah, taxi service for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so let's start with maybe a little background on you. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Chicago and uh just right in the city downtown. Um and really really close to the beach, so I'd try to, you know, go out to the lakefront path and and, uh, you know, go to the beach, walk the dog, that kind of thing. But um, we always had a place in um, the Indiana Dunes. So I've been coming out to the Indiana Dunes um, in um, Chesterton, Indiana for years. 
and uh, just would spend summers out there and, you know, just to go sailing and um, skimboarding. Um, never really got into surfing, but I did get into more like kiting um, while I was here because my dad had like stunt kites and, you know, let me try them all the time. So we'd just practice on the beach when I was a kid. That's awesome. Yeah. And did you go to school? Did you go to university in Chicago? Uh, yeah, I went, uh, so I went to IIT. I got my master's in environmental management. Um, and, uh, and like, uh, I went to like grade school and high school in Chicago as well, but I went to like college out East, um, in upstate New York. And at what point did you get into kiting? Like more specifically, was it just on the lake or was it somewhere else? Um, so I got into it, um, you know, I, I didn't know that there was kiteboarding on Lake Michigan. Um, and when I was out, out east in, um, at school, uh, one of my friends had studied abroad in Australia. And uh, I, I, she showed me these pictures of all these kiteboarders in Australia. I was like, that is cool. That was like 2002. Um, and I had like, you know, since I, I was kind of like, still like the kiting and even in school I brought my stunt kites with me I was like that's cool I want to try that so I brought my stunt kite and rollerblades out to like old country road and was just like <laughs> trying to trying to make it work and it, it didn't work so well you know kite would get stuck in a cornfield and you have to go fish it out um but um and then uh, I went on a trip to Cabarete in the Dominican Republic and uh it's just they're not for kiting, but I was just meeting up with um, a bunch of buddies to do like, you know, surfing, waterfall, jumping, you know, horseback riding, just all this exploring. And I got there a few days early and they, um, I noticed it was like Cabarete and Dominican Republic was like ground zero at the time for Caribbean kiteboarding. And uh, there's just kiters everywhere. So I took a few lessons and kind of got the hang of it pretty quick and was like, this is fun. Um, so when I went back home, I was, I was like, I live near a lake, like there should be a place to take lessons around Chicago and found a few instructors. And, uh, so did some lessons and it was kind of tricky with the wind and I didn't really know what to look for. And, and I was, uh, I guess after a long list of students that my instructors had, so I never really had a good chance to get out on the water. So, um, uh, one of my instructors was like, Hey, I'm going to be in the Florida Keys. Um, and, you know, if anyone can make it down, uh, that'd be cool. And I was like, it was right before um, New Year's. And I was like, I had some t vacation time left at the job I was working. I was like, yeah, I'm going. And so that was like where I really like, I spent a few days down in the Keys. And that's where I kind of got the hang of it. And what yeah. year was this? Uh, that was like, I think I took my first lesson like 2010. And then, you know, 2011, 2012 is, is when I started to go full steam. It's so interesting. And what's a stunt, a stunt kite? Oh, a stunt kite? Uh, it's basically like, have you ever seen, they're kind of um, triangle shape or kind of, you know, some are like diamond shape, um, I guess. Uh, and it, it just, you, you use straps like around your wrists instead mm -hmm. of uh, a bar. And you just kind of pull left and right and... Um, the kite just kind of zips and makes a sound like a fluttering sound. It just, it goes really fast and it's really responsive. Um, so it's just more for like doing lots of like kite loops in a row. You can do like 10 kite loops in a row one way and then the other way and then kind of dart it around super, super low to the ground. It was just kind of a, a like a fun, you know, 
kind of power kite activity that would give you a little bit of pull, but not enough to really like bring you anywhere. It's interesting hearing all the different terms, just because I only know, you know, a little bit based on our lesson that yeah. we had together for everybody listening. Tyler lives really close to me, and he gave Andre and I a lesson about two years ago, maybe. Yeah, like yeah, maybe three or three. Yeah, 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 a while ago. So I learned the basics of of kiting it's it's really interesting it's just there's so much equipment which i think is so fascinating and um what i like about the kiting community is how open everybody is yeah um and there really is a big push for instructions first like you have to have lessons first (laughs) and then and then you can kind of get into it which is interesting yeah i I did it's one of the few sports where um you really need a lesson first or things can go wrong really quickly. <laughs> you know, just putting up the wrong size kite on the on the wrong day could spell disaster. When did you get into lessons? How did that start? Um I kind of got into it um cuz like I, I I've always wanted to like as soon as you get into something you like, you think it's cool. Of course you want all your friends to do it, right? Right. So so I think I like I you know since this day I started before I even knew how to really do it I wanted to teach and I quickly realized when I would like bring my friends like hey yeah you got to come check this out it was like you know probably 2012 I really thought I I knew enough to show people and I quickly realized that I didn't have like the anticipation for what could go wrong and uh, I was actually talking to one of my friends about this who I tried to teach the other day because he just, like, called me out of the blue from, like, you know, like, picked a name out of the hat of his quarantine buddies he wanted to, to reach out to. And I came up. But, uh, um, yeah, I was like, man, remember when I was, like, trying to teach you? And then, you know, I, I remember putting this brand-new kite I just bought, like, up in the air. It was, like, a big 17-meter, which is almost the biggest that they come in. And we were in like a place that was just really tricky to, to keep the kite in the air. And I remember thinking, man, if something goes wrong, you know, it's going to, it's going to pull them too hard or, um, you know, um, or the kite's going to crash on something sharp and break it. And I was like, man, I just, I just don't, you know, I don't know how to, how to teach someone safely. So remember I was like, well, thinking, well, I got to get good at this first before I start teaching people. So, you know, I spent a few more years. Um, trying to just hone in my skills and, uh, then I ended up working in a kite shop for a little while. And so I didn't, and then, you know, I remember just like shipping stuff out at the kite shop, like, man, you know, it'd be nice to, to do some lessons and, uh, kind of get out on the water myself. And so I think I started, um, about seven, seven years ago teaching my first lessons, like, um, officially. And then like about a year or two after that, um, there's a to be like an official kiteboard instructor um you should take a course and it's called like the IKO um kiteboarding like uh, certification course and that's called that stands for International Kiteboarding Organization and it, what's nice about it is it gives you um a lot of uh like um teaching tips and not only just like how to teach kiteboarding, but just how to teach in general so you can communicate well with students. And um, it also standardizes the teaching. So I took that course and um, 
And like after that was just like I, I felt like I really, you know, got motivated to teach and and, and liked it more. Um, and it, it kind of um, makes you more confident and also gives you like an insurance, um, basically a, a third party liability insurance qualification, too. So that you can, um, you know, if someone gets hurt on the beach, um, you know, you have something, something to cover you because there's a lot of things that can happen that are beyond your control. So it's just a little added perk that comes along with like, you know, being serious about being an instructor and, um, and kind of making the leap to, to pay for a course that'll, um, give you some good guidance. That's awesome. Was the kiteboarding shop in Chicago? that you originally worked in or yeah it was on the south side of chicago and it was like it was just an online store at the time um oh, the guy okay. was like selling some gear out of his out of his basement selling it on ebay um which is cool i was like yeah this is this is a cool way to kind of get started and you know fixing kites and then you know he started doing some lessons um but it was just kind of a good way to uh um you know learn more about the industry yeah i'm sure what is the kite scene like specifically in Chicago? I'm just curious because um, for surfing, there's a lot of surfers in Chicago, but most of the beaches you can't surf in Chicago. Is it the same for kiting or different? Yeah, it's so um, Chicago is a it's a it's it's a great place to kite on certain days, um, but it's not really like your your like the best quality kiting unless you know maybe five days a year it's awesome but um so there's one place that you can go kiteboarding and that's montrose beach mm -hmm. um it's the biggest beach in chicago pretty much um it's also sometimes very crowded probably most crowded so there's a lot of rules um that that you have there and yeah there are a lot of kiters there but never really a lot at once um so there, I think it was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe over 10 years ago before I started kiting, um, uh, there were a lot of people that would just go to the beach and, um, they'd get into the swimming area or they'd land their kite on, you know, um, beach goers. So there ended up, you ended up needing to have like some sort of, um, uh, guidelines for people to go kiting there and, because they actually shut it down at one point. And there was one guy, um, one of the old timers, uh, Mike Urban, that um, spent a lot of time with the city to try to reopen kiteboarding in Chicago. And it was successful, actually, at getting it back. And they said, well, which be beaches would you like to have kiteboarding at? Mm -hmm. And they said, we don't want all the beaches. We just want one so we can self-police it and make sure everybody, um, you know, can um, can preserve it, keep an eye on each other and make sure that someone who's like, you know, really cocky and thinks they can do all this crazy stuff close to shore or maybe hurt someone or someone who's a beginner doesn't know what they're doing and thinks they know what they're doing, maybe knows they shouldn't be there, but there's no rules to keep, keep them out. So they just try anyway. Um, it was just a, you know, it's just a way to keep everyone out of there who feels like they shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. Um, so you kind of have a lot of self-police rules, um, as well as some rules that, um, now the lifeguards know about, um, such as everyone who kites there, um, needs to be IKO certified to a certain level, like level three. Uh -huh. Um, and then if you're IKO certified at level three or pass a level two, uh, which is a different certification, um, you get a, 
uh, streamer that goes on your kite. And so me and a few other people have streamers um, that can issue them to put on their kites so that the lifeguards, especially during the swimming season, know that you're legit, like you're allowed to be there. Um, besides that, like, you know, if, if someone doesn't have a streamer, but they're really good, um, you know, other, other people kind of see, okay, you know, he's pretty good. I guess, I guess we'll let him go this time. Um, but it's also a way to say if someone isn't doing too good or someone is good and they're, and they're, you know, they're breaking the rules, it's a way to kick someone out. Say, Hey, Mm. you don't have a streamer, streamer, you got to go. It's an interesting system. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's self-policed, and, you know, at crowded areas, you sort of need some sort of system in place to to preserve, um, you know, the life of the sport in a certain area that's crowded. So I, I think it works there, but there is a lot of animosity, you know, from people who get kicked out who know they shouldn't be there. They're, they're angry about it. Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, it would make sense. It's like the cocky people that think that they can do whatever and they're obviously going to get upset when someone tells them that no, they can't do whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the flags is interesting because again, I think it was like two or three years ago that there was the meeting that we all went to at the city hall for Mm -hmm. this kiting issue. Can you maybe talk through that and what that would have looked like if it would have gone forward? Yeah, so um so one one of the um I guess you could call them one of the police at Montrose um also got involved in Michigan City. Um not not because he like was like, Oh, this is great, we should we should implement it here too. Um he was kind of forced into that by um one of the local kiters um who had like I guess just recently moved to Michigan City and was declaring it his beach. And that if anyone else were were to teach there, um, he was afraid that they were going to make it, um, you know, put his beach at risk, you know, if something would happen or whatnot. So every time we would we would teach there, he would um, he would like call the I don't know call the coast guard. He would call the police and and kind of make up stories that we were we were crashing kites on people and stuff. So. Um, the guy I was working for at the time who, um, ended up talking to the city for about a year, uh, he ended up, um, talking to, to the city and, um, trying, tried to get it like, uh, like more rules and regulations kind of just set up so that he had a place where he could, um, he could teach himself without other people to bother him. So, um. And he, I think he also like tried to, you know, have an area where, you know, he had cones set up so he can teach and not, um, you know, not have any beachgoers sit there or other people kind of be in his way. And, you know, I think he quickly realized that was not going to fly so well. Um, and also, um, he also tried to, um, I, you know, th- th- there's some speculation of if he wanted like to be the only school that was allowed to teach there. Um, which is why I think a lot of people uh, got involved. And there's also some rumors going around that, um, you know, he wanted to make it like Montrose with streamers and the locals mm-hmm. there did not, did not want that. So, um, you know, there, there was just a, a town hall meeting he had, and I think he had worked with the parks really hard to get um, the rights to teach there. Um, and basically not so that he could um, 
just control it. But I think so that, um, you know, the other local guy who was bothering us for teaching there for so long couldn't bother us anymore. Mm. And, okay. um, yeah. So the str- it, streamers to kind of show also that you know what you're doing, but not have the regulations as far as who can teach there. Right. And and so what ended up happening as a result was, um, you know, basically, if you want to teach at Michigan City um, going forward, you, you have to talk to the city um, or to the to Parks and Rec Department. And, um, you, you know, you have to show them that you're like a legit instructor. Um, and uh, then you have to give them percentage of, you know, however much you make at the beach. So mm-hmm. it just it just kind of made it more official and sort of weeded out people who, who, you know, didn't want, who didn't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with someone who is like a rogue actor, if you will, uh, or someone who maybe doesn't want to take all the lessons or, you know, has mm-hmm. the money to buy all the equipment but doesn't want to learn? How does that, how does the community deal with that? Because I think that's kind of a an interesting conundrum that maybe the traditional surf community doesn't have as much of. yeah um so usually what i'll try to do if i can if i can talk to them first you know i, I kind of lay it down like yeah eventually you know after enough time anybody can learn how to do it on their own but if you don't if you don't take a lesson first uh you you probably um won't know what to do and if you're if you get in a really bad situation and if you don't take a lesson first, a really bad situation can happen really fast, like before you can even blink an eye. So at first you try to like reason with those kind of people. But like, let's just say you just see someone on the beach who's who's doing something that they shouldn't. You have to go talk to them. It doesn't matter if you're a total beginner. You're not even a kiter and they look like they're doing something dangerous. Um you know, you, someone has to step up and let them know that what they're doing is not okay. So for the most part, it's self-police. And if they're still not listening, you know, talk to the lifeguards. If there's no lifeguards, I mean, you don't want to really call the police on a situation like right. that. But like, but what a lot of people have done is they get kind of like aggro about it, you know, when they see those kind of people and they threaten, they say, hey, if you don't put the kite down right now, I'm going to cut your lines. And everyone has a line knife on their harness and they'll do mm. it. A line knife. Gosh, yeah. so hardcore. <laughs> yeah. You know, you should have one. You never know. But, you know, I tell people the line knife isn't for cutting lines necessarily. Sometimes you're at the pier cutting along, and, and if you get too close to the pier and there's a fisherman with his lines out, um, you know, you want to be able to cut that line before the hook gets to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That makes, so. makes a lot of sense. Wow, that's so gnarly. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Um, how has your business evolved since you started? Um, uh, it's kind of been like a slow, like evolution of, um, just focusing from, from teaching to providing students with the gear that they need, um, in order to be safe in cold water, you know, all the wetsuit gear to, you know, also selling kites, um, kites that I believe would be like the best for teaching with, um. And then, um, yeah, and then it evolves from like, you know, more just like local, you know, instruction to, to doing, uh, kiteboarding trips. Um, 
So, you know, we started, I started off just doing kind of local trips, like, you know, tell students like, Hey, we're going to South Haven today. Hey, we're going to St. Joe or Sheboygan. Um, and those are just kind of one day trips. But then for a while I was going up to, um, Tawas and Lake Huron mm. and Tawas point, um, has a really nice sandbar with a really good thermal and a south wind. Um, so like if you go there on the right forecast for a long weekend, you're almost assured to get wind if there's wind nowhere else. Um, you know, Sheboygan has that kind of thermal effect too. Um, so it's, it's nice sometimes to bring a big group up there, have like shallow water um, where everyone can just like have two miles of flat, shallow sandbar just to practice on. Um, but now with the high water levels on Lake Michigan, Lake Huron, um, that point is kind of head high instead of you know, oh. waist deep like it used to be. So we don't really go there too much anymore. Um, and then started doing like longer trips and, uh, you know, to, to more exotic locations, going to the Outer Banks uh, for a week or two. Um, uh, Key West is, is a really good spot, too, to practice. You can take a boat out to these cool sandbars. Um and we went to uh, Puerto Rico uh, this last um, this last winter, and spent uh, a month there with students, just at this really cool uh, flat, shallow water spot, and um, just you know had perfect trade winds just about every day. So it's been like a part of the sport that, like in the beginning, I didn't really think I would I would like see myself getting into because I thought, oh man, do things. It's kind of like a travel agent, you know. And then mm -hmm. plus you're teaching and trying to like organize everyone and entertain, you know, wherever you can, if there's no wind. Um, but it turned out to be just a, a really fun aspect of, of, uh, the kiteboarding world is, is like picking up a kite and saying, you know, pointing on the map, like, where do I want to go? Is it near water? You know, changes the way you look at vacations. Now you're like, geez, I really want to go to, uh, Florida, but you know, like where's the good kiteboarding spot, <laughs> you know? So you, you end up just like changing the whole way you look at travel. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess it's just been a slow evolution of like I'm getting more students, um, and, um, you know, different gear, um, to provide them. And then, um, now I'm trying to create like an online store so I can, I can start selling online and not just kind of come in contact with everyone and find out what they need at the time. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And how did you be like, how were you able to sell um, like retail or sell kites and stuff? Do you have to have like an account set up with a company or how do you even go about doing that? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, if you're if you're like a legit business and have a uh, you know a text ID number, um, then you can. You know, you can pretty much, you, you can't pick any brand, um, cause I know some brands are like, hey, you need to, um, you know, you have a, have to have a shop, um, or you have to, uh, um, or you can't be too close to someone else who's selling the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so you just kind of have to find out, um, what, what kind of brands you like the best and you believe in. And then, um, you know, just kind of hope that they, uh, They'll cater to your kind of business and what you do. That's cool. It's cool to be a one-stop shop because obviously anybody, if they get the bug from you, from getting the lessons from you, then they can mm -hmm. just get all of the gear that you recommend. Yeah. And that's, that's, what's kind of nice about it is, uh, 
Um, you know, it's just like, I always like, whenever I, I go to, you know, a lesson and someone needs something, I usually have like two of every size of everything. Just so if someone needs something, you know, I'll, I'll have it, you know, I'll have it in stock. And as soon as I don't have two of something, I just get two more. So it's just something that like a, a nice service where, you know, no one's going to be cold in the water because I didn't have the right size gloves for them or something like that. Um, and in addition to that, I'll also have like some, some rental options that, that they could use if I don't at the time have something that they need because they're like an odd size or, or whatnot. When a student, after a student takes their first lesson from you, is it, or first couple of lessons, are they continuing on taking more advanced lessons? Do most people do that or do they kind of like take a beginner lesson and then go on their own way? How does that work? Yeah. Um, so I think most students um, will will continue on. They'll do like if, if they're serious about it, they do like you know an eight hour package. Mm-hmm. Um, they sign up for the whole thing, and which really gives them um, the fundamentals they need, um, as well as um, different days to go out with different conditions. Because every day on like Michigan seems to be different. You know, if you go someplace where it's the same wind every day you can kind of master it a lot quicker. But then mm-hmm. when you go someplace with different wind or different wave conditions, you're like, whoa, I, I'm not ready for this. This is not what I expected. <laughs> but on Lake Michigan, you get everything thrown at you um, within that eight-hour package. You'll have a high wind day. You'll have a light wind day. Uh, you'll have just like a perfect flat, butter smooth, you know, medium wind day. Um, so what I've noticed is if you're um, – oh, wow, there's coyote outside the window. Whoa. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you, uh, yeah, I guess just like get a quick intro, um, then you don't, you don't, you only get like one condition. Um, but if you, if you really are serious, you'll, you'll pretty much have all the fundamentals you need to, to get into it. Sorry, that was so distracting. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Every time I see that coyote outside, I'm like, whoa. Is it no, that's like, so cool. Yeah. I know Dee Dee has all different sorts of critters. I know. In that house. <laughs> yeah. So she yeah. feeds them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, because for me, that that is one of the kind of, I think, starting kiteboarding versus starting surfing, there's such a, maybe a steeper learning curve because there's so much equipment and so much variance in... Um, almost every aspect where surfing, I don't know how to, how to maybe articulate this, but surfing, it's kind of like you pop up and then you kind of can turn and there's kind of like a progression, um, that's a little bit more in one direction, but with kiting, it seems like there's so many different types of kites that affect, you know, how you are going to use your equipment. There's so, so much just from, from my perspective, there's so much more to learn right from the beginning. That's how I felt when I was taking the lesson. I just think it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, there is, there's a, like a lot of, um, like, like what you said, there's a lot of gear involved and, um, there's also a lot of like, it's like, uh, it's like not not homework, but like kind of safety um, stuff you need to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in the beginning, it all there's so much it seems a little bit overwhelming. 
Um, but then as soon as you kind of go through the motions and have some hands-on training with it, um, it becomes second nature. So it doesn't seem quite as intimidating. Um, and then, you know, what's intimidating, I guess, in the beginning is like for a surfer, I know is you've got to set up this, this big kite and, and, and there's all these lines and they can get yeah. tangled and there's, it takes up so much space and, you know, like you're already concerned about space, right? So, you know, you're trying to, you know, you're catching all the same waves at some point, you know, you're like, you're like, God, but as soon as the difference I think is there's a lot more upfront, um, uh, learning and gear in for, for kite surfing that, but as soon as you kind of know all that, then all of a sudden, like, the water opens up to this like really nice um, freedom of like, you're just able to navigate in this huge open space and you know how to kind of get around other people. And instead of people getting in your way, you kind of feel like a camaraderie with them. Like, Oh, cool. Like, did you feel that too? Like that wind was awesome or those waves are so good, you know? So you get the same kind of, um, you know, similar feelings, but you're also just like, you know, you, you, you can, you can space out as much as you want and, and not really worry about it. Right. Makes sense to why I feel the, not to knock the surfing community, obviously love our surfers, love our surfer community, but there is definitely a more chill vibe amongst like in between kiters is what my, what I have seen, at least from my experience. Maybe it's because, like, you know, the wind, it's so vast, you know. There's not just, like, one good area. It seems that way, at least. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, if the wind is blowing, it's blowing. <laughs> right. Yeah. True. Um, what is the optimal conditions? Um, because I heard you talk about, like, shallow water. Um, is that better for some reason? Yeah, I think um, as a beginner, it's better. Um, if you have flat, shallow water, you don't have to worry about, you know, losing your board and, and having the body drag back to it. Um, you don't have to worry about waves hitting you in the face uh, as you're learning how to do the, the beginner body dragging things. Um, but as you get more advanced, um, you know, flat water is nice. Um, you can do all kinds of tricks and there's a whole um, category of cool uh, freestyle tricks you can do in flat water and, and, and hooked in tricks um, doing big air. But um, I, I found in my progression, um, I kind of like to have uh, waves more. Um, so, you know, you, then you can, you can get on the, um, on your surfboard or you can just even ride with your, your twin tip or even ride some like smaller waves with your foil board and just kind of feel the, um, you know, that the power of the wave or to get a nice clean turn on it. And so when it's kind of choppy out there and you're like getting kind of sick of it, you just kind of head into the waves and you finally get your smooth, you know, surfaces that you can play on. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. It's so cool. What are the, so <laughs> let's maybe list all the different ways that you can use a kite. Okay. Because you have, yeah. Because I know that you have kiteboarding, snow kiting, which is using a kite on a snowboard or skis. Mm -hmm. 
the buggy thing that you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> what what else? Roller skates, it seems yeah. like. Like when roller, you were a kid. Roller cutting, <laughs> yeah. And actually like yeah, I I've taught a lot of people on um just, you know, with the trainer kite, you know, it's a two line kite and uh and rollerblades. It's just it's just if you're already good on skates, um it's just a really easy way to, to figure out how to angle yourself in uh, relation to the kite to get a constant pull and, and to, to go somewhere on it. You know, it kind of teaches you the motions uh, much easier than like, you know, being in the water and, and uh, you know, getting feeling like you're getting pushed around in circles by the waves. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Are those the main... Yeah, yeah. Um, I think so. I mean, there might be a few more creative ways. Uh, you could you could be on a longboard too with a trainer kite. Yeah, and and what I've noticed is being on a longboard is a little harder than rollerblades. But if you sit on the longboard, you kind of start start that way, and that's a pretty easy way to to get the hang of it. That's cool. Yeah, and then if you if you feel like you're going too fast, getting pulled too hard, you just you just let go of the bar, and there's a leash connected to your wrist. So you can let it go, and the kite will just kind of, we'll call it flagging out, just turn, you know, kind of flops until it comes down lightly on the ground. You have traveled quite a bit. Can you <laughs> maybe, I don't know, what? Where was the first place that you went, ever, like traveling abroad? Oh, traveling like not for kiting, but for uh, well, both just in general. Oh, okay. Um. So the first, well, the first place I went, um for kiteboarding was the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then um, I went to, you know, a few years later when I was, I finally felt like I was an intermediate. I went to the, the Grenadines. Um, there's this really cool island called Union Island. Uh, there, there's like a little like kiting pro shop called the JT Pro Center. And um, so that's like the home base for kiteboarding in the Grenadines. Then you can take um, ferries or, or boats or sail, you know, if you could charter a sailboat and go to, like, different islands around there. Like, uh, I think Meru is one, and uh, Salt Whistle Bay, um, and then the Tobago Cays, and it's just, you get this beautiful turquoise water um, with, like, you know, turtles swimming around you, you know, surrounded by a protected reef. And it's just, like, just one of those perfect photo shoots where you're just like, wow, this is what paradise looks like, <laughs> you know? So that that was a really cool trip. Um, oh, yeah, and, like, if you go during a full moon... Um, the, the pro there he puts on a show he wears like led pants and uh, a bond puts a bonfire in the kiting spot and at night uh while he's having like a big barbecue with all the locals and all the sailors who all come he'll like he'll like put on a show and do all these advanced kiting moves um like and he'll bonk the bonfire he'll take like girls on his back um kite with them and he'll do like what's called like dark slides and jesus walking take the board off and just kind of walk on the water you know weightless while he's maneuvering the kite to keep him up um all all with those like bright white led plant pants <laughs> and it's just it's just so cool everyone's like what this is surreal and it's so bright out there in the full moon that he can see perfectly fine and while well, we just kind of see him do all these tricks in front of the bonfire so he puts on a good show he's also a good dj um that's awesome so, yeah so <laughs> Yeah, that was a fun trip. Um, and then, um, 
my probably my favorite trips I've done is uh, I used to go to Brazil every year. So I went there for um, three years in a row, and we would do what's called the Endless Downwinder. And we'd basically kite um, about 500 miles of Brazilian coastline, oh go God. from fishing village to fishing village every day. And um, just like, you know, maybe go like 30 to, to like 80 miles a day and just kind of stop along a hut. You know, you can find like a, a small shack along the beach and then just get like fresh lobster, like <laughs> delivered right to you then while your kite's sitting there. And, uh, and then just go back out and do another 30 miles, end up at sunset at another fishing village. And a buggy will come pick you up, bring you to, uh, it's called Posadas. Um, your, your small Posada and just spend a night there, maybe, um, spend like one or two days in each spot. Um, and the, the buggies will pick you up so you can redo the downwinder again, just in case you missed a good wave, you know, you have to go back to it. <laughs> um, but it is just, it's, that's just an awesome, like, um, bucket list trip that, like, everybody who gets into kiting should, should consider. Um, cause the winds there blow like 30 knots, 25 to like 35 knots, actually. Um, the winds get stronger the further north you go. So, like, the first week it's blowing like 25 knots. And then the second week when you get higher up, it's blowing like 30, 35 knots. And, you know, so you can just use a small kite and just ride these awesome waves the whole way. And it's just, so much fun to be on a smaller kite because then you can you can move it faster and you can catch the wave in like a sweeter spot sooner um so it's just a it's just an epic journey that sounds um, incredible so do you keep all of your stuff what about your like actual belongings are they with you no you so a lot of people would bring like a camel pack with them okay um, and and then the, everything else just kind of goes in the buggies that are following you um, so you have to hire like a buggy driver, but if you know, split it between four or five people, it brings the price down. And, um, but we did run into some people who just like, who would just like hire like a local kid and, um, uh, local kiter kid and just bring like a few basic belongings in like a kite bag on their backpack, like a pump, uh, maybe like some water and like a change of clothes. And they would just kind of bum around. And just just camp out, maybe a hammock or or under their kite um, <laughs> for the night, and then they just keep going the next day, um, basically till they run out of steam. Go as that's far what as they I can pictured. Go. That's what I pictured <laughs> in my head. I pictured like I don't know why, but I pictured like you guys kiting with like your backpacks and stuff, <laughs> like all the way down. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Well, trust me, the thought has crossed my mind, and right? you know, like this last year, I was like, oh, we should do it. I was talking to a buddy, and, and I don't know, it just. It did. It didn't materialize. <laughs> but one day, I think that's that's on the bucket list now. So I know yeah. that place like the back of my hand now, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I could totally do that. Just gotta get used to sleeping in a hammock. Right. Oh man, <laughs> that's like the the dream almost. You know, like the nomadic surfer kiteboarder kind of dream. Like no plans, just get out there. Whatever happens, happens. That's, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's 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 more of a pure way to do it than having like a car follow you. Mhm. Mm mhm. Where else have you been? Um, let's see. Uh I guess like um for international, I think that's that's all I've been. Um but uh you know, some cool spots that I've been to that are also great for the US or is like Hood River, Oregon. Mm -hmm. Um it's really cool there because the wind like snakes down a river 
like it'll be going north and then it'll be coming south and it's all because of the mountain and the uh the thermals and the, the heat you know gradients from the the top of the mountains to the to the you know to the valleys and then to the like the desert to the to the east to like the snow-capped mountains in the west so there's all these like thermals and in mountain like inversions happening that creates that kind of wind and it gets really strong for most of the summer um then I had like a really good time. I went out to uh to LA and uh found out that like you know it's the wind there is kind of weird. You get a lot of eddy effects like around the you know the coastline, but once it comes in, it it comes in and the waves get get big and it's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah, we did like a fun downwinder one day to uh from Belmont Shores to Huntington Beach and god the waves were just awesome. Um, and it's just cool to see that part of the country because never really thought of kiting in that area, but it's, it can be pretty good at times. That's awesome. And so when you're out in the waves, are you kind of, are you wanting to surf, like surf, like this same face of the wave as like a surfer would want to, or are you further back or with like, how are you incorporating the waves into the kiting? Um, the way I do it, um, I kind of just, you know, instead of doing like a drop in, Mm -hmm. uh, from, from like the backside, um, I always approach it from the front, from like the face. And so what you, what's nice about the kite is, um, you can, you can approach the wave and you can just smack the lip just like you would once you're already on the wave and and Mm -hmm. you're riding it with the shortboard. But you, as soon as you, um, you smack the lip, you can stall out the kite. And then you drop in. So it's not oh. like, you know, paddling from the back. It's like you approach it from the front, smack the lip, and then you stall the kite out a little bit. You drop in, and then you, you can hit it. You can just keep hitting it again as long as there's still, you know, a nice face. But it's not it's not really the same as you can get a nice drop into it and then kind of ride it, like, with speed. But if you ride it with too much speed towards the kite, the kite can, um, it can like, backstall. And then mm. just you won't have any tension on the line. and and your kite goes down in the wave, and that's something you don't want to happen. So you sort of just, like, you do these power turns into the wave, you smack the lip, drop in, hit it again, kind of just do that repetitive motion. Um, And then I guess you can also let the kite sort of drift, and you can hit the wave a few times, like, as if you're riding it without a kite. But then you don't want to get that slack. Yeah, so you're basically just, like, carving and... you're just going straight to the carving because you already have the momentum of the cut. You don't need the drop in momentum to propel you forward. Right. Yeah. You you can just generate that, that extra, that power from the kite to, to stay on the wave and stay in the sweet spot. That's, that's awesome. I'm just like picture trying to picture it in my head, but I can like, I know that I've seen it done before because I mean, there are rare occasions that, the wind is good and the waves are also good. Right. Even though it is kind of rare on the lake, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's when it's like a really big day on the lake, the waves usually get really good and it's a, it's a good direction. Um, cause we're always like behind the jetty, just like the surfers. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, those are, those are the, those are the awesome days that like you live for on like Michigan when it's blowing like 30, 40, 50 and you can get on a small kite and the waves just, 
they just get real big, yeah. uh, even even if there's not much fetch, you know, on the lake. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It can be can be fun, um, and you get you get some pretty clean waves at times too. Where is where are you predominantly kiting? Like, what's your spot on the lake? Um, so we we sort of cover uh, most of Southern Lake Michigan. Um, for at least where I do lessons. Um, so we'll go from South Haven down to, you know, St. Joe, uh, Michigan City, uh, Lake Street, um, and then Waukegan on, in, in Illinois, uh, occasionally Wolf Lake um, in the spring a lot. Uh, and then up to Sheboygan, Wisconsin, where they get that thermal, which is just awesome on, mm-hmm. on the south during the summer. <laughs> so... We cover most of those spots, and, and recently we've kind of been heading up to Muskegon, too, because they get a really nice uh, northwest wind thermal, um, which, like, it's closer than Sheboygan for me, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of nice to hit that spot up in the, in the middle of summer. So, um, yeah, those are the main areas, but, you know, as far as, like, uh, the most fun spot, I would say, like, kind of right where we are, you know, at the yeah. Indiana Dunes Lakeshore, because... Right now, there's still beach uh, for most of the way, and you can do these epic downwinders along that shoreline from all the way from Porter Beach to, to Beverly Shores. Just all that, you know, there's there's nothing in the way, no rock walls or retaining walls or, you know, trees down. Um, it's just like pure Indiana Dunes coastline for a nice little seven-mile downwinder. So that's, that's my favorite spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We it's a good spot down here for surfing and for kiting. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Underrated, I would say. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's something special about the dunes too. And it's cool um because even if it's a day when I can't surf, it's cool to see how many kiters there will be out feel like you guys kind of travel in packs i don't usually see <laughs> yeah. like just one kiter there's usually like yeah. 10 yeah oh part of that is like um the the rule that like you know i try to stress is is never kite alone um you always want to have someone there in case something happens as, as security but also yeah we all talk to each other and we want to know like you know where someone else is going because it is, you know, I have kite alone like before, and it's it's almost not the same as like having someone to share it with afterwards, you mm-hmm. know, and like hang out in the parking lot. You just you get like I guess I'll use the term stoke, but you know, you just you just like it's different, you know, coming off of a session and having someone to like talk about it with, and just kind of going home, just feeling good on your, you know, by yourself. So yeah, we just. You know, even if, like, people would never have been friends before, like, just kiting just totally brings them together to a whole new plane. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. What was your biggest oh shit moment while kiting? Like, things um, got gnarly. Yeah, so so I think the, I guess the biggest one was uh, on one of my downwinders in Brazil. Um so I was with uh, two of my other friends, and we were waiting for one guy who's kind of taking his time. Call it call it whale watching. He was out looking for whales. <laughs> but he just mean, it just means you know you take off so you can hardly see him, and then he comes back like a few minutes or five minutes later, like dude, where were you? He's like, oh yeah, I was just I was just way out there and 
three miles offshore. But at that point, we were going across the bay, and um, we were we were two miles offshore, you know, even from there. So um, my friend decided he was gonna like, I don't know, practice a new like a new kite trick in the middle of this bay, and he ended up losing his kite. And so it's you know we call it the angry kite. It's just it was thirty knots, and the thing just tumbling down. There was no way we were gonna get it. it just it was angry. So I ended up having to. You know, I was going to have him, I was going to drag him in, but I was like, you know, it might be easier for him to drag me. So we switched kites and he dragged me two two miles to shore and he dropped me off right outside of this um, wave break. And, uh, you know, we didn't really know what the topography looked like before we got there. And so was, I'm like, no, no big deal. I'm on a surfboard, right? I'll just kind of ride it in. Um, but when you, when you kiteboard, most people don't have leashes on their boards, mm-hmm. on their surfboards. So I'm just kind of holding on to it like a boogie board and these waves were like massive and they were all closing out like mean mean closeout waves and I was like stuck on the outside of this break like how am I going to get in so I'm like okay not taking that one you know I had to duck dive a few to get back out and then it was like okay I got to get way in front of it and just kind of ride the foam in or I'll just get tumbled so you know I after two waves I was like frantically paddling to make it to shore but the shoreline was like so steep and it was sand, but it was so steep. It was, there's like an undertow sucking me back oh, in every time. Yeah. And I like was like, oh, man, I, yeah, I was like, I don't think I'm going to make it. And so luckily I just paddled my heart out. And right as I ran out of steam completely, I could touch. And so like I got to the beach, my buddies were like, you know, like no big deal. Like looked like he was having fun, but I was just like <laughs> laying on the beach, like, I'm alive. That was the hardest <laughs> pedal I've had in my life, you know? So, yeah, that was probably the scariest moment I had because I was really nervous. Like, so then we, after I got there, you know, we were like, okay, well, now we'll go get his kite because it'll, it'll end up on the shore. And and it, it sure did end up at the shore, but the waves, like, it ate it up and it didn't, like, it didn't even spit it back out. Like, it munched that kite and, like, kept it because that oh, shore man. break was so steep. So was, that was a little bit, um, a little bit scary. Do yeah. kiters have to worry about sharks? Uh, yeah. I mean, they don't. They don't really. They don't <laughs> worry about them much. Yeah. But okay. like, you know, uh, you know, there, there's this dude, um, Tom. I forget his last name, but he, he kites out of uh, Delray Beach, Florida. And when there's that shark shark migration going on, like mm-hmm. I think it's in the spring. Uh, they're all going north to feed. There's just thousands of them. Like every mile, there's like a thousand sharks every square mile. And like this dude will like kind of go out there and cruise right over them. Like it's it's no big deal. Tom Lehman, I think his name is. It's like, dude, you got guts, man, because there's no way I would do that. That's hardcore. Yeah, that's so hardcore. Um, what is the weirdest wave you've ever surfed or kited? I ask that question to everybody, but. Yeah. Well, I got, I kind of have two and not because like they were weird waves, but I guess like, you know, the feeling from being on the wave yeah. is like just totally crazy. Um, so I guess the first time, the first one was like, I guess just as I was a beginner, it was like the first time I really like felt the stoke kiteboarding. And I was going in between these two waves and there's just like the way like the sun was shining, like between the clouds onto the waves and they're, they're just this perfect shape, this glassy shape. And just like 
heading down the line, you know, underneath the wave, I was like, wow, like, what is that? What is that feeling? And it was like a high that like lasted for like the next 10 hours or something. And like, I got it like, I remember on my way back home, I got a speeding ticket. It was like, it was going like 88 and a 70. And it was like, I was so high at that point from that stoke, I like didn't even care, you know, it was just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's no big deal, you know? Like, I'm not letting this ruin my feeling. Um, yeah, that was in um, Tuscornia Park in, in St. Joe, or Benton Harbor officially. But the other one was in St. Joe. And uh, I remember just, like, you just get in these – I got in, like, this monster swell that was wrapping around the pier. And I just remember, like, being at the base of this swell, looking up, like, wow. Like, I'm so small to this, yeah. the size of this wave and it was this this like religious experience where I was like you know like I'm so small and like minuscule to like the power of nature and it just made you feel like so humble and like gracious to be on this earth you know totally. so I guess yeah I I do think that there's something so and I, who knows if it's like religious or whatever it is but it's like connects you and grounds you from the water sports that we do because Mm -hmm. I can think of a couple of times when I was surfing too, where I'm just like, I am literally a speck on the whole planet. You know, when you're just like sitting and especially if you're, if you can't see the other side, the body of water, if you can, mm-hmm. if you're just sitting on the one side and you just look out and it's just so vast, it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, I'm just this big, just like baby, baby small. It's like, yeah, very like humbling. Yeah, it's like mind blowing bewilderment. You're just like, I am so small in this world. <laughs> yeah, right. This, this oh. is this is a huge, huge, powerful like world. <laughs> it's crazy. It is crazy, and and it kind of like makes everything zero in at the same time. I don't know if you had that experience. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kind of makes things that you thought matter they matter less, all because mm-hmm. you were like a tiny right. speck trying to ride a wave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I do. That's that's one of my favorite things about about the sport that we both enjoy is just the feeling of small, 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 small. That's, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, my last question for you is what is next for you? Well, next, uh, I guess, you know, what, what really excites me is the prospect of like going to see, uh, new places and kiting in new places around the world and even around the U S. Um, and, um, you know, being able to, to fund that by growing, you know, the business and, um, you know, we created an online store or we're in the process of doing that. So, you know, we can offer more, um, more equipment to, to, you know, more people around the country. And, um, so I think that'll, that'll really help. Um, and even, you know, on that site to, to advertise trips, um, to where we're going next. So it's not just the same places every time, you know, you can really, uh, you know, see the world and discover a new culture. Um, not just kind of just go, go to a place to only kite, but mm-hmm. to, to have so much more than that. That's awesome. Yeah. If, and if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? 
Uh, well, they can go to um, my website at um, stokeriders.com, S-T-O-K-E-R-I-D-E-R-S. And uh, yeah, just, or they can reach out on Instagram or Facebook. Awesome. Well, thanks for talking to me. This was so great. Yeah. yeah thanks for having me on the show or the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah, and and um, then we'll maybe see you tomorrow if you guys want to wanna come over. Cool. Yeah. That, that movie sounds cool. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Uh, well, have a good night. Say hi to Dee. Yeah, will do. All right. <laughs> All right see Andre. you. I yeah. will. Bye. And that was episode 37. I really hope that you guys enjoy it. Tyler is building an awesome new website, and I will link that below. You can hit him up for any lessons or any more information. He's a super open guy. He would love to answer any of your questions. I really hope that you guys enjoyed this week's episode. I hope you're all healthy, happy, and doing well, and we will see you next Monday for another episode.